0: Uh, But uh, she's quite busy on Sundays for reasons that you're here. I'm just going to ask her a couple of questions to introduce her, and then she's going to launch us into the second in this series we're doing uh, looking at grace, Emmaus in grace. Um, And um, I know. And, uh, uh, you know, Ness is just a remarkable leader. Ness, tell us a little bit about the church that you lead and how it got started.
1: Okay, I like telling this story. So how it got started was um, a long time ago, back in 1990, I turned up at Loughborough University um, in a particular hall of residence called Towers and discovered that all the second and third-year Christians in that hall had been praying specifically for 10 fired-up freshers. And 10 of us turned up, we'd all done mission stuff in the summer, really keen to be used by God, and we all started praying our socks off. You know, we prayed up and down the lifts and everywhere. and there was basically a move of God in that first term. So the number of Christians trebled. Week five, I had a friend come into my room, non Christian family, had never really encountered much of Jesus, and just came into my room and said, Ness, what do I do to become a Christian? Um, her reason was, she said, I've never seen the kind of love. That is demonstrated between all you lot that are Christians. Never seen that in my life before, never seen that in my family or friends. And then week 10, two other friends came into my room and said the same thing how to I become a Christian? And so that was kind of happening uh, all over the whole um it was being talked about you know we had like this um <laughs> sort of t- towers magazine that was normally full of really dodgy content, uh, but there started to be a god slot every week as to what God was doing, who was becoming a Christian healings were happening and then at the end of that ten weeks, uh, we went away on a weekend, and the speaker was Roger Ellis, who both Pete and I know, and he relayed a prophetic word and uh he had just been told that he was about to meet a group of young people which we were then uh, who were going to lead a church for young people in the Midlands and so those of us that kind of were caught up in this thing I guess made a decision to take ourselves as seriously as God was taking us and then um, so we planted a church which was a crazy thing to do and um that's been what I've done ever since. It's been a privilege. It's been challenging. It's been full of joy. It's been costly. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't have wanted to have done anything else with my life.
0: Amazing. So move the Spirit of God, Loughborough University. You planted a church uh, out of that called Open Heaven. And tell us a little bit about what the church is like now, because it was only one or two years ago, wasn't it?
1: So this was a long time ago. So we started in 93. And then um, we grew, kind of as you do, and people started to get older because we had started very much kind of like students and 20 somethings. And uh, people started to get married and started to have kids. um, And as the church grew, then about 10 years ago, I got a little team together and we planted another expression of open heaven, which we fairly unimaginatively called OH2. So we've got OH1 and OH2. So OH1 meets still in the Students' Union, um, in the nightclub part, and um, they do just just brilliant, kind of turn that place into like a sacred space on a Sunday. And then OH2, which now is kind of all age, loads and loads of kids, a bit like you lot. When I see all the kids that are here, um, especially kind of, you know, both your services this morning, it's just like us, loads of kids. and. Um, Yeah, so that's great. And then we also have sent out a church planting team to um, Annecy in France. So Annecy is a similar town in terms of size to Loughborough. And they're doing really well, um, our church plant over there. And then a few years ago, three or four years ago, started a messy church, um, which is a lot of fun. (laughs) Crazy. Um, So yeah, lots of stuff going on.
0: I actually had the most embarrassing experience of my life in Annecy, but we won't go into that now. But I'm now wondering if it was prophetic and somehow preparing the way for you to plant the church. Uh, And uh, as well as leading the church, you're you're married to Rich, who's quite remarkable, and two daughters. Tell us about the family.
1: Yeah, Yeah, so just fantastic family. Really good man, uh, Rich Wilson. I, I knew as soon as I met him, you know, like... He was an extraordinary man, just when I was like, you know, still a student and there was something about him, the way he heard from God, his maturity, but also the fact that he had done a really good job of nailing ego, which was unusual in the young men at the time. So um, he... Yeah, so he now leads Fusion, which is just going phenomenally well. It's um, basically strengthening churches in their student ministry. Um, and yeah, it's grown phenomenally um, over the last kind of 10, 15 years. And now he's traveling a lot into Europe. And uh, there's some really exciting God connections that are happening, uh, yeah, particularly in Europe. And then two daughters, Emily, who is nearly 13, and uh, starting to act more like a teenager. And then Lauren, who is eight, um, who hasn't reached that teenage bit yet. So she still like, wants lots of cuddles. And yes, yeah, so I'm, enjoying, I'm enjoying all of that.
0: Enjoy that whilst it lasts. Uh, Ness Wilson is going to speak to us about breaking the cycles of ungrace, the second in our Grace series.
1: Brilliant. Thank you. So I know that you're basing this series on this book. Um, And I'm probably going to say what every other speaker in this series is going to say to you all, which is, please get a hold of it. Please read it. Please digest it. Please let it shape who you are. So I actually read this many years ago, right back kind of when um, we were planting the church. And it was one of those key books that fundamentally shaped who I am today. It shaped my view of God as being a God of grace. It shaped my view of church as being a community of grace. And it shaped my view of leadership, which is that leadership is, um, it's a ministry of grace. That leadership is really just laying your life down to enable others to be all that they are called to be. and that we want to be grace partners with a God of grace. So I know that Hannah kicked off the series. I listened to her talk. It was really good. to listen to that during the week. And then I'm looking at this second part, which essentially is called Breaking the Cycle of Ungrace. And it's essentially about forgiveness, which is a supernatural thing. Forgiveness is a miracle every time... Somebody chooses to forgive somebody else. It's like a little bit of heaven touches earth. So I do want to really recommend you read this. One of the things that, um, in reading it again, I just want to let you know that I've been personally and deeply challenged again around forgiveness. And um, I am currently daily uh, forgiving a couple of people um, for different things that have happened. And one of the things that struck me is that there can be key moments in our lives where we have like a spring clean around forgiveness. Maybe when we first decide to follow Jesus, and maybe we do some kind of a discipleship course, or somebody comes alongside us who's a bit further on in their journey with Jesus, and they help us, don't they, to kind of work through Uh, maybe our past. And at that point, we may do our kind of first layer of forgiveness. And maybe we forgive parents, maybe we forgive teachers or forgive bullies at school or things that have kind of hurt or wounded us in our past. And then there might be other key points where you go on a, a church weekend away or a retreat or a conference, and then the issue of forgiveness comes up again. And you realize, oh my goodness, there's another layer of forgiveness because there's more people that have ended up hurting me and and wounding me in some way. Um, And I just really want to say that my conviction, again reading this book afresh, is that we need to be people who are living in a continuous flow of forgiving, a continuous flow of standing under the abundance of God's grace and forgiveness into our lives and then allowing it to get poured out onto others. I think one of the things that challenged me when uh, Open Heaven first started, I heard somebody say this, many of you are great starters, but not all of you are great finishers. And it really impacted me. And I just thought the people that I know that finish well, you know, the older people amongst us who joy tumbles out of them whose eyes are still twinkling, where there's just a sense in which they are full of grace, are the people who have made a resolute decision to forgive and to forgive and to keep on forgiving. And I just, I think, made a decision that I want to be one of those people who, as I get older, the decades of life go on, recognising... I'm not going to be immune from getting hurt and wounded. You know, that for all of us, whether it's people in our family, our workplace, even in church, that we can't go through life without getting hurt, maybe betrayed, hit in terms of our emotions. And we need to have that resolute determination that we will forgive and forgive and keep on forgiving. The thing about forgiveness, which Yancey talks about really well, is it feels unnatural to forgive. That oftentimes it kind of feels wrong to forgive, as though in forgiving we minimize the damage that we feel has been done to us. Almost it feels wrong to forgive what seems a huge injustice. Human nature operates on the instinctive law of ungrace, wanting to make people pay for what they have done. So forgiveness feels unfair, and it is mostly undeserved, unmerited. But as Hannah was saying last week, we live under the grace of God, which is undeserved and unmerited. So we're called to forgive even when the other person isn't sorry and hasn't asked for our forgiveness. Forgiveness means we determine that we are not going to play God. Essentially, forgiveness means us saying, you know what, I'm not going to be your judge. I'm going to lay down my right to judge you and to try and get back. Forgiveness means that we say you've only got one judge and I trust him to get it right when it comes to matters of justice and mercy. A God who understands the bigger context of what's going on. Forgiveness is possible when we let go of pride. So what's the big deal about forgiving? Why does God seem to ask us to do something which can at times feel so hard and so unnatural? Well, in the book, Yancey starts with the theological reason to start with. He says, God asks us to forgive because that is what God is like. That is what God does. And as those who are created in his image, we are called to reflect him. Matthew 5, 44, Jesus said this, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Every time we forgive, we reflect God. Every time we do this unnatural act of forgiveness, this grace gift of forgiveness, it's as though we say, God is real. We make his love visible on earth. Because without the grace of God in our lives, it's actually really, really difficult to forgive, and every time we do it, we reflect who he is. We mirror him to the world. And our experience of being forgiven by God makes it possible, not easy, but possible to keep on forgiving others. So Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's not like Jesus is saying something to taunt us You know, that actually is really impossible. He's saying, this is possible. As the Father forgives us, so we're able to forgive others. But it's more than just a theological reason. We forgive because the option of not forgiving, of living in this cycle of ungrace, is actually really damaging. Really, really damaging to us on an individual level, and also on a community, corporate level. When we have been hurt, we've been wronged, we've been let down, we've been betrayed, there are only really two options of moving forward. One is in the freedom of forgiveness, and one is in the bondage of bitterness. There's no kind of middle ground. There's only those two options. And... We know, don't we, that when we don't forgive, when we hold on, it's just like we allow poison to take root on the inside of who we are. Holding on to offense, nurturing anger, unforgiveness, it begins to consume us. It begins to take up our mental and emotional and spiritual energy. It becomes what we uh, start to think about. It becomes what we talk about. It can even lead to physical symptoms, you know, disturbing our sleep, disturbing our uh, digestion. There's all kinds of physical symptoms that are associated with unforgiveness. It really does damage us. In essence, it means we are not free on every level. And we know Galatians 5, verse 1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That if we're holding on to unforgiveness, we are not the free people that we are created to be. So forgiving others is kind of like for our sake. It's for our freedom. You know, forgiveness is when we set a prisoner free and then we realize the prisoner is ourselves. A definition of bitterness is unforgiveness that is held on to and nurtured, where hurts get fed indignation grows bitterness can start off hidden but it goes deep hebrews 12:15 says see to it that no one misses the grace of god and that no root of bitterness grows up to cause trouble and defile many the problem with unforgiveness and bitterness it doesn't just stay with us on the inside it begins to get transmitted It causes trouble, says Scripture, defiles a community. It invades an atmosphere. It allows a negative environment. It allows people to be talked about in a dishonoring way. It's why the whole thing of Matthew 18, I believe, is in Scripture, because if we are a people of grace, if we are a people who need to be counter-cultural, then there's something about people walking in and encountering a community that don't talk negatively about each other. There's something about a community where if someone does begin to talk negatively, to dishonor somebody else, that person goes, I'm sorry, I can't listen because you have to go and talk to the person who's hurt you and wounded you face to face. I just can't listen to this. And if a whole community agrees to do that, then actually is like something of heaven touches earth. And people begin to feel really safe because they know, you know what, it's okay for me to, to mess up here. It's okay for me to make mistakes because people are going to choose to believe the best. And they're not going to be talking negatively about me to others. I think it applies um, right across like a town-wide church or a city-wide church that if you have been hurt by other parts of the church in the town, that again there's a commitment that you're not going to be bad-mouthing other parts of God's church or other leaders, that in essence is just like self-harm, you know, the body of Christ harming itself. But there's that, there's that commitment of I'm not going to let a root of bitterness go deep and begin to spill out in my language, spill out in the things that I'm prepared to, to talk about, all the things that I'm prepared to listen to. And so we all, we all say there's a, there's a better way, there's a higher way, there's a way of living and talking and listening to others that is the way of grace, the way of grace. So we need to deal with some of the roots. Hurts need to be processed properly. You know, it's okay to feel angry when someone has really hurt you, but for that to be done and processed in a really good and healthy way with somebody that you trust. So forgiveness is not forgetting. Though you will find as you forgive, then the memory of something will lose its grip on you. But it's not forgetting and forgiveness is not saying that what the other person has done is not wrong. It's not saying it's okay. But you are choosing to move forward in the freedom of forgiveness. You're agreeing to live with the consequences of another person's sin. You're going to live with the consequences of their sin anyway, and you get to choose how you live with it, in freedom or in bondage. I believe if you're holding on to unforgiveness, if you're holding on to resentment, it's kind of like you're not free to fully embrace God. It's like one hand has got somebody by the scruff of the neck like this, and you can actually only touch the grace of God, his, his love, his fathering, in a kind of a half-hearted way. In order to fully embrace the love of the Father, you have to let go of that person. So you can turn fully and both arms are free to be embraced by the love of the Father. So forgiveness is tearing up an IOU. We don't wait until we feel like it. We choose to do it. And sometimes, if the wound has gone deep, we have to choose to do it again and again and again. You know, when Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, there's nothing like praying for the people who've hurt you by name. Not just that you're forgiving them, but that you are releasing them into God's blessing. And it's powerful. It can feel unnatural, But it's powerful. And sometimes God gives us the gift of forgiveness. If you're finding it really, really hard to forgive, just come before God really honestly and go, this is hard. I need the gift, the supernatural gift of forgiveness. And ask God to be able to see that person through his eyes. If we can in some way connect with the humanity of the person who's hurt us, that can really help. Because God knows the context. He knows what's gone on in their lives, in their past, their own hurts and their wounds. And sometimes if we can catch a glimpse of somebody's humanity, that really helps to to let things go. We recognize our own brokenness and we surrender our right to get even. And then going forward, it's worth just having wisdom around recognizing that forgiveness is free, but trust is earned. So if your need to forgive has come from somebody intentionally, deliberately, hurting you physically, or verbally, or emotionally, then wisdom says... Whilst forgiving them in order for you to be free on the inside, that you may need to limit that person's access into your life and into your heart. Because trust needs to be earned. Trust needs to be rebuilt. But we are called to live as much as it depends on us, at peace with others. Hebrews 12:14, "Make every effort to live in peace with all men." Romans 12 verse 18 if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So we do what we can do. We only get to control our own responses and our own actions and our own emotions. So we can forgive and we can do all that is within our means to be at peace with somebody else. But we don't get to control somebody else's responses and actions and emotions. That's not our responsibility. So somebody else will do what they choose to do. You can't control that. But you can control what is within you. You can control whether you are becoming someone who's getting bigger and bigger on the inside. Somebody who is able to host the beautiful Holy Spirit really well. Because you're doing the hard work, the inner work of keeping your heart soft and clean and free. You can choose whether you're becoming bigger on the inside or if you're shriveling on the inside, a heart that's curved in on itself. You get to choose. So we do all we can. We keep short accounts. We make sure we're following Matthew 18 as a church community. And then we recognize that forgiveness is really powerful, not just on an individual level, but it ends up actually being powerful on a community and even on a national level. Let me read to you this story. Some of you might remember this happening. I've gone and lost the page of this story. Oh, here we go. In 1987 an IRA bomb went off in a small town west of Belfast amid a group of Protestants who had gathered to honor the war dead on Veterans Day. 11 people died and 63 others were wounded. What made this act of terrorism stand out from so many others was the response of one of the wounded, Gordon Wilson, a devout Methodist who had emigrated north from the Irish Republic to work as a draper. The bomb buried Wilson and his 20-year-old daughter under five feet of concrete and brick. Daddy, I love you very much were the last words Marie spoke, grasping her father's hand as they waited for the rescuers. She suffered severe spinal and brain injuries and died a few hours later in the hospital. A newspaper later proclaimed, no one remembers what the politicians had to say at that time. No one who heard Gordon Wilson will ever forget what he confessed. His grace towered over the miserable justifications of the bombers. Speaking from his hospital bed, Wilson said, I have lost my daughter, but I will bear no grudge. Bitter talk is not going to bring Marie Wilson back to life. I shall pray tonight and every night that God will forgive them. His daughter's last words were words of love, and Gordon Wilson determined to live out his life on that plane of love. The world wept, said one report, as Wilson gave a similar interview over the BBC radio that week. After his release from the hospital, Gordon Wilson led a crusade for Protestant Catholic reconciliation. Protestant extremists who had planned to avenge the bombing decided, because of the publicity surrounding Wilson, that such behavior would be politically foolish. Wilson wrote a book about his daughter, spoke out against violence, and constantly repeated the refrain, love is the bottom line. Love." is the bottom line. He met with the IRA, personally forgave them for what they had done and asked them to lay down their arms. I know that you've lost loved ones just like me, he told them, surely enough is enough. Enough blood has been spilled. The Irish Republic ultimately made Wilson a member of its Senate. When he died in 1995, the Irish Republic, Northern Ireland and all of Great Britain honoured this ordinary Christian citizen who had gained fame for his uncommon spirit of grace. His spirit exposed by contrast the violent deeds of retaliation and his life of peacemaking came to symbolise the craving for peace within many others who would never make the headlines. Forgiveness is powerful. Forgiveness changes things. Forgiveness breaks this cycle of ungrace that just seeks to devour relationships and seeks to to bring uh, division and discord amongst God's humanity. And we know we live in this messed up, blessed up world. And that as life goes on, there's going to be more occasions, more opportunities to exercise the gift of grace, the gift of forgiveness. But it does need to be a decision of the will. It does need to be something that goes beyond our emotions to that deeper place. And it does need to start from first knowing the grace and the forgiveness of a good and loving God who, whilst we were still sinners, died for us. There, it would be remiss of me to talk about forgiveness without then offering an opportunity for people to do business with God and maybe even to do business with each other. There may even be people in this room where you know you need to extend your forgiveness or you need to just grab a hold of them and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? It might be um, those of you that uh, are in relationships, marriages in this room, where you know actually there's a simmering resentment where the cycle of ungrace has just been repeated and repeated and repeated. Resentment means to feel it again, as though just picking off the scabs of a wound and you feel it again, you feel it again. And one of the things I think that we are able to model again, something so attractive, so countercultural to the world is... Marriages, healthy, happy, lifelong marriages that are ongoingly forgiving each other. I know that's one of the the things that Rich and I uh, just try and have a kind of a regular discipline. It's just clearing stuff out. And just like, I'm sorry, I forgive you. I'm sorry, I forgive you. And so if you've got somebody sitting next to you right now you just want to take hold of their hand... And just that recognition of we need to continually forgive each other and let go of any underlying resentment. Then please do that. Please do that this morning. It might be there's people that you need to ring, text, write a letter to. to. To break this cycle of ungrace means that we reflect the beauty and the glory and the goodness of a God of grace. And that we become a community of grace that is so attractive to people who are coming in that have never encountered before what the beauty of grace looks like. So why don't we stand as we finish and let's do business with God.
0: Thanks, Ness. Well, there's really only one song to sing now, which is, of course, Amazing Grace, written by the former slave trader, John Newton, who uh, found the grace of God. And uh, this song is probably sung at least 10 million times every year. We're going to make it 10 million and one. There's really three ways I think that we can respond to Ness's challenge and invitation. The first is just to sing. It may just be that you're amazed again by grace. Renu just saying, I can't believe the way God uses me. Or Peter Walker saying, I can't believe the way that God spoke to me. Or Judy saying, I can't believe the way God healed me. It may just be that you just want to sing. Amazing grace, amazing grace. Or it may not be singing, it may be that you actually need to pray, Um, that actually you know that there is a need to receive grace, that you can give grace, there's someone you need to forgive. And so as we sing, if you want to make your way down to the front here, if you'd like someone to pray with you, that you'd receive amazing grace, so that you can go out and give amazing grace to people who may have done terrible things, said terrible things. And then the third way is you may need to talk. It may be that, um, yeah, forgiveness is vital, but you're aware that this session raises massive questions. And uh, if you want to talk to somebody, uh, then maybe uh, Mick and Lynette are probably some of the most experienced Christian counselors in the in the country they're not going to sort of take you on I'm afraid because they're quite busy but if you want to talk to someone just say I just need to process a little bit what forgiveness might look like just come and grab them uh, after is that all right Mick and Lynette and uh, there may be no one it may be loads of people but I'm just aware that for some this isn't just sing a song or get some prayer but you just say I need to process this a little bit because I know Jesus is telling me to forgive but it's complicated and they can, they, can, they can help point you in the right direction. So either sing now, or come and get some prayer. Make your way down to the front, and we'll have people who pray with you. Uh, or if you wanna just talk, have a quick conversation, uh, maybe the beginning of a longer conversation, come and talk to Mick and Annette, who are here on the second row um, next to Renu. So let's sing together, make your way down the front. If you want to pray, do make your way over to Mick and if you want to talk. Let's go.